Let's all stand together at this time. As we reverence the reading of God's Word, we're going to be looking in Proverbs chapter 2. We're in a series called God's Wisdom for Our Life. And today our message is called Treasure Hunt. Treasure Hunt. <clears throat> my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> if you search for her for wisdom as for hidden treasures. Remember this morning the book of Proverbs was written mostly by Solomon and they were written and they were written by Solomon they were compiled in the days of King Hezekiah uh, long after Solomon had died uh, but when Solomon was giving these proverbs he addressed many of them as he does in this text to his son to his own uh, children, I'm sure, all, including all of them, but especially his sons, his successors as leaders uh, of the nation of Israel. Uh, Solomon knew that a fierce battle would rage for the destiny of every generation that came into the world. Uh, this has not changed. He also knew that the future of any generation would be inevitably tied to their attitude toward God and their attitude toward his truth. Every generation, you see, has to struggle with the same fallen human nature. Every generation has to deal with the same issues. They all have to make uh, decisions about the same kinds of things. They face the same problems in growing up and launching out into the world. And though our technological advancements may change, a, a little bit at least, the nature of some of these issues, the issues themselves really don't change that much. That's one of the reasons why I've often thought of how crafty the devil is played out to be in Scripture, and rightly so, uh, because the enemy is aware of this too. And he's watched generation after generation after generation after generation believe the same lies He's good at telling them. Fallen victim to the same problems. After all, he knows all too well what our weaknesses are. He's been playing this game for a long time. And while we only get three score and ten, maybe four score, we've got 70, 80, 90 years. Of course, he's an eternal being. He doesn't get tired, doesn't have to stop. Every generation faces the same issues, the same struggles. Multitudes of people uh, will end up struggling through life, groping their way along in the darkness. And that in itself would be bad enough. But then there are all these other voices. So we have, uh, uh, on the one hand, we have God's truth. On the other hand, we have the lies of the enemy. And then uh, on top of that, uh, we have this natural blindness that every person has who doesn't know God. 
so that they're left then in groping in spiritual darkness. But then there's all these other voices. Voices shouting out directions. Voices to give us advice. Voices that don't know really any more about your choices than you do. And Jesus warned about that in Luke chapter 6 and verse 39 when he said, If the blind lead the blind, uh, then uh, both will fall into the ditch. Can the blind lead the blind? Well, yeah. But the outcome's predictable. These are the days, folk, in which the blind are leading the blind. And by, text, our, by contrast, our text today calls on us to go on a treasure hunt of sorts, a treasure hunt for wisdom, the wisdom of God. One of the more famous modern treasure hunts was started by an art dealer named Forrest Finn from New Mexico. And upon getting some bad health news with a, a very bad prognosis, he decided to place over a million dollars worth of gold and jewels in a bronze chest hidden in the, mount, hidden in the mountains north of Santa Fe. He wrote a book that he self-published that contained all kinds of clues about the whereabouts. The search would go on for about 10 years until someone finally found it shortly before Finn's death in 2020. Interestingly, according to Wikipedia, five people died while searching for the treasure prompting the state of New Mexico to issue a warning telling people to please stop. Five people died. Several others, no surprise here, were cited for illegal activities like breaking and entering. They were sure they had the spot all picked out and it was on private property or even inside somebody's residence. Here they go. But it was finally found and the contents were auctioned off, according to Wikipedia, for $1.3 million dollars. Uh, I spent some time in the Ozarks. I was there around Branson, and it was just fascinating to me how many old treasure stories there were up around Branson. And people who were still going around trying to find Jesse James' hidden treasures, all those. I'm, I'm telling you, there are all kinds of stories about hidden treasure left up there in the caves and hollers around Branson. There's all kinds of them. But that's not unique. Uh, I'm sure if we looked hard enough, there might even be some story about hidden treasure right here in Cabot, Arkansas. I don't know. I don't know. But I know one thing. The Bible uses this search for hidden treasures very advisedly. It was not a haphazard choice of metaphors when Solomon encouraged his son to search for wisdom the way you would search for a hidden treasure. You know, a treasure left behind is almost always just that. It's something that somebody left, some generation, somewhere a lot of times back in antiquity uh, would leave behind them. Oftentimes it's hidden for centuries before it's discovered. Sometimes it was found, things have been found quite by accident. Uh, but now we have this search, a very pointed search, someone who knows what they're looking for, and they go looking for it with great diligence. 
That's not to say that there aren't times when people stumble on the truth of God when they're not even looking for it. I heard the testimony of a good friend of mine who uh, was raised in, in a false religion. And uh, quite by accident, he wasn't looking for anything, really. He wasn't uh, uh, on a search or a quest for spiritual things. But quite by accident, he stumbled up on the Gospel of John. It was in his native language. It was the first time he had ever held any part of the Word of God, he said, in his hands. He read the Gospel of John, and then he read it again, and he read it again. And before long, he was saved, gloriously saved. He went looking for a church that would tell the truth that he had discovered there in the Gospel of John. Of course, he found one and became a very active missionary. You see, there are some people who might stumble like you would stumble on treasure. There are some people who might just stumble on the treasures of wisdom and God's Word. But it's unusual. For the most part, if you find it, it's because you're looking for it diligently. And so the search for wisdom then is described in a couple of ways, and we're only going to get to the first one. We'll save the other uh, for later on uh, when I get back after a trip Nancy and I are going to take. Today we're going to talk only about the prerequisites, the prerequisites. And you see it in our text, if you receive my words. If you cry out for discernment, if you seek her as silver. Three times then, the writer uses the qualifying expression, if, followed by promise. The prerequisite, followed by promise. If you do this, God says, I'll do this. Now, this is a formula that's somewhat difficult for us to explain, but is often used in Scripture and God's design with mankind or God's dealings with mankind. In Jeremiah 18 and 8, the Bible says, If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. And so twice in this passage, God discusses a possibility. One is that the possibility that God would pronounce judgment on a people, but maybe they would repent. If they repent, God said then, I will repent of the evil that I plan to do. But maybe here's God. He's pronouncing a blessing on a people. But he said, if they turn from me and turn to wickedness, then God says, I will repent of the blessing that I promised. You know, that, that's hard for us to understand. Uh, we've often had that discussion. Well, does God ever change his mind? I remember the answer of an old deacon uh, very early on in my Christian experience that I asked that. And he said, well, if God ever changes my, his mind, he knew beforehand that he was going to do it. <laughs> oh, that helped me a lot. <clears throat> so helpful. I thought I'd share it with you today. Uh, well, because God changed his mind. Well, we, we say, well, no, God doesn't change his mind. But then God says, uh, I'll change my mind. We have difficulty, you see, understanding how a sovereign, all-knowing God could seemingly subject himself and his promises to the responses of humanity. How do you explain that? Folks, I don't even try. The Bible says it. And this is only one time. There are many, many other times that God says this. 
So much so that we call them conditional promises. God said, if you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do this. If we leave all the other things that go on in the mind of God where it belongs, in the mind of God, we take it simply for the way God reveals it to us. If you do this, I'll do this. And this is exactly the kind of promise that is put before us today in our passage. I love what one writer said. God created people, not puppets. That's a good thing for us to remember. Three times then in our passage, God speaks of prerequisites that must be fulfilled. And the first one is that we must be open to divine truth. Uh, If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom... Uh, You must be open to divine truth. He refers to our attitude toward the truth of God, someone who would incline their ears. This should be a a very well-known description to all of us today. It speaks of somebody who's leaning over and saying, what did you say? (laughs) What, if you're not used to seeing that, hang around Faith Baptist a while and you'll see it a lot. Uh, You'll see it from me sooner or later. Now, what? What did you say? It is that effort uh, to listen intently. Somebody has said something, but I'm not sure I got it all. I want to hear it. We describe the same thing in another way when we speak of somebody who's sitting on the edge of their seats. What are we describing? Here's a person who is anxious to listen because what they are hearing is important. It's like a a treasure to be carefully preserved and passed on to our children and to our grandchildren. We often ask a question maybe about what children receive in a church service like this. Uh, Well, I'll know one thing that they can receive in a church service like this. Number one, let me say, before I say the one thing, let me say something else. (laughs) Okay, let let me back up a little bit and say this. Uh, Number one, children hear probably more than you give them credit for. We've asked them for years. We've passed out little notes and asked them to take notes and write down a little word. Maybe if they heard something they didn't understand or they had a question, just write it down. Uh, You'd be amazed. Uh, I was amazed at, at how much they were picking up on. I was also amazed by how they spelled some of the things. <laughs> it was amazing uh, to see that spelling and try to cipher that out. Hey, we're looking at first and second graders. They were doing good. I could read it, could understand it, figure it out. If I couldn't, our secretaries could. I'll tell you, Miss Leanne can. And that, they, oh, yeah, that's right. So kids pick up a lot. But if they didn't get anything else, let me tell you something that they always get. They get that their mama and daddy are sitting there listening intently to something they think is important. So don't go to sleep, Mom. (laughs) It matters. Little eyes are watching. They're watching. You see, that attitude toward the the Word of God, that's that's where it comes from. That's where, where children pick it up. This is a treasure. This is something valuable. This is an attitude then toward the truth of God. It is that inclination then that, uh, to divine truth. Not just an attitude, but an inclination. Uh, we've all had that experience of talking to somebody and, and maybe they're nodding. <laughs> but they're not listening. <laughs> they, might, they might even vocalize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm Yeah. And they, they hadn't heard a word. Y'all know that. We've had that experience. 
Uh, I read something or saw something somewhere along the line. Uh, maybe I, I saw something, a, a little little girl that reached up and took her daddy's face and turned her daddy's face down like this and said, Daddy, listen to me with your face. We treat the Word of God then as something that deserves our face. <laughs> We've got that attitude. And then there's also our hearts. The Bible warns in Galatians 6, 9 about not growing weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Many students lose heart in their studies. And some of you collegiates here this morning, you may be right in the middle of that. Long about this time of the year, it's easy to lose heart. The work is, is hard and it's long. And you need to put a lot of effort in it. And maybe you're not, not feeling it. You can lose heart in your understanding of God's truth as well. So don't, don't. The Bible tells us, warns us, don't do it. So there's an inclination to divine truth. There's also a longing for divine truth. This is spelled out in the person who cries out and lifts the voice. Someone who asks for information. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. In Luke's account of that same passage, he included a warning. Woe unto you who are full. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Woe unto you that are filled, full. That hunger then for divine truth, crying out, lifting the voice. I well remember the baby days around our house when our days and nights were punctuated by the cries of hungry babies. I also remember when it moved from hungry babies to hungry teenagers. The hungry baby part was pretty easy. I just had to hand them to Nancy. Because <laughs> she did all the feeding. Um, but then the teenagers, I, I think I kind of had to help out with that. You know, teenagers would walk in the door eating. Have y'all had any of that experience? They'd come home from school, walk in the door eating. Uh, then they'd ask what was for supper. And God said, I've already eaten enough for supper. But then they weren't ready for that one done. And then you get up from the table. Well, what am I going to have for a midnight snack? snack? And whoa, whoa, whoa unto thee. If they ever went to the pantry and we're out of cereal, then you got that amazing look. Dad, we're out of cereal. It's like, what's going on, Dad? Never entered their mind maybe to stop by the dollar store and buy some on the way. Of course, dollar stores weren't as prevalent back in those days as they are now. We had made the, this was a problem that had to be fixed. In all honesty, folk, it is an indication of physical health when growing babies and growing children and teens are hungry. And it's a sign of spiritual health when we're hungry for spiritual things. If we've lost our appetite, we've got a problem. Then there is the seeking, lastly, for divine truth. We seek for silver. 
and we search for hidden treasures. And this kind of intensity must be applied in our search for the truths of God. Uh, you see, God's Word is not written in order to be a puzzle, but it does require some diligence on our part if its truths are to be mine for our good. Uh, sometimes the, the quest for divine information leads people these days to seek some kind of extra-biblical revelation, as if somebody personally is hearing personally from God. Uh, the Bible warns in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, and we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, and he's speaking of the word of God, the Bible, as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul would take up the same kind of subject in 1 Corinthians 13 and 8 when he said, love never ends or fails. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. All three of these spoke of a supernatural gift, the supernatural ability to speak a language that you hadn't studied, the ability to receive a message from God without having to read it and study it out for yourself, uh, the ability to know things, know about the truth of God, that God gave to people supernaturally so that they completed them. Paul told us these supernatural things, these spiritual gifts, would come to an end. When that which is perfect is come, and that referred to God's completed revelation to us, the Bible. And that's why the New Testament tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I can stand here today and speak to you confidently. If you want to hear from God, then you need to be either, and nearly it's not either or, it's one, it's either and. You need to be reading and studying the Bible for yourself. Or you need to be listening to someone else like me or some of our many Sunday school teachers who are teaching the Word of God to you. The latter is not a substitute for the former. We need all of it. We need both of it. We need it all as we diligently seek and search for, treasure, mine out the treasure, looking, searching diligently. For the treasure. The promises then begin, if that's the prerequisites, and it is, the promises begin in verse 10. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you, and we'll pick those up when next I'm with you. The search for treasure is a consuming quest. The pages of history are filled with people who gave their lives in the quest for some treasure, oftentimes a futile quest. Interestingly, Jesus in Matthew 13 gave a couple of examples. There was a pearl of great price that a merchant man found. And when he found that, he went out and he sold everything to buy that one pearl. There was a man who was stumbled upon a treasure hidden in a field. And he went and sold all that he had. And he bought that so that he would have the treasure. These would speak 
primarily of Jesus and the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ that was hidden in the nation of Israel. And so it would speak of Jesus' work and coming to those people and, and how that this message was hidden. They didn't, they didn't understand who Jesus was. They didn't recognize how valuable he was. But those who did, like the apostles to whom he spoke, spoke would indeed give all they had. Because they had found the treasure, the treasure of the truth of the gospel. You see, like Israel of old in modern America, it's possible for us not to recognize the value of the treasure. The treasure of the truth of God. And not only then would we not give up all that we have for it, we might not give much at all. For the Jews, you see... Getting the treasure would mean giving up their religion and their rituals and their old covenant and all that went along with it in the embracing of the new. The religious leaders that Jesus spoke to knew that fully well. That's why they killed him, crucified him. They chose their religion over a true relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They knew well what he was offering. But what would we give for the pearl of great price? For the treasure hidden in the field. See, I'm afraid we're a long way down the road of defining Christianity based only on what we get. Not what we give. I get to heaven. I get God's blessings. I get God's guidance. I get God's favor. We're big on favor. I look for churches based on what I like. What I like in singing, what I like in preaching, what it does for me, what it does for my family. But if we define the faith on, our, on the basis of what it does for me, then we need to ask the question, who is the real king in such a situation? And what is the kingdom? Because you see, the real king and the real kingdom... It's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel. It brings with it then all of God's wisdom and all of God's truth. And we receive this truth of the gospel the same way today that Jesus said Nicodemus would receive it. He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Religious man that he was, you must be born again. Nicodemus would be born again as he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received him as his Savior. I did a search this week for unfound treasure. And uh, I was somewhat intrigued to see as I looked through, scrolled through the many results that came up. That there was a web page that broke it down purportedly state by state. Unclaimed, unfound treasures, state by state. I have, let me give this disclaimer. I, I do not believe everything I see on the internet, okay? I don't. I have no way of determining whether the site that I was looking at was legitimate or not. So with that disclaimer, I will say to you that on this particular site and website that I looked at, the unfound treasure listed in every state was always the same thing. Unclaimed lottery tickets. 
Every single time. I kept looking. I kept scrolling down thinking, well, surely somewhere there's a state that has some unfound treasure. But that was not what it was. It was all about unclaimed lottery tickets. I found that somewhat interesting. Enough so that I'm sharing it with you this morning. And I only hope you get the point. You see, because if the website was legit, there were some lottery tickets out there that were worth a quarter of a million dollars. Unclaimed. At least one, I noticed, was worth a million dollars. And I had to think, what's happening here? What's happening here? Now, it's possible that somebody might have taken a lottery ticket. And if you think I'm going to produce one, I'm not. It's possible that somebody might have taken a lottery ticket, I guess, and just set it up on a shelf, a bookshelf in their house. And say, well, what is that? Well, it's a lottery ticket. Is it worth anything? Yeah, a quarter of a million. (laughs) What are you doing with it? Nothing. I just let it sit there. I look at it every now and then. Once or twice a year, I put it out, take it out, put it in my pocket, maybe put it in a book, carry it around with me for a while, and then I take it home, put it back on the shelf. What do you plan to do with it? I don't plan to do anything with it. I suppose that's a possibility that such a thing might happen. No, that's not possible. (laughs) Y'all know that. (laughs) No, you know what happened. Somebody bought it. Somebody had it. And they threw away a quarter of a million dollars. That's what they did. They threw away a million dollars. That's what they did. You say, man, that's awful. I'm holding up my iPad. But for now, it represents the Word of God. Let me tell you something. There is nothing worse than taking the value of the Word of God and throwing it away. You've thrown away more than a quarter of a million. You've thrown away more than a million. If you turn your back on the truth of this book, you're throwing away eternal life. And you're claiming for yourself, as we saw last week, eternal judgment. It's a tragic thing for somebody to have something like that laying around their house and not use it. How tragic is it for us as the people of God, knowing full well that this is God's truth, knowing how valuable it is, for us just to leave it laying around and never use it. We need to go on a treasure hunt. It comes then with these prerequisites as they're outlined in this passage. When next we gather, we'll talk about the promises that it brings. Jesus would stand before a group of religious people and tell them, You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they that testify of me. And it's that last statement I want to bring to you today to close this message. These are they which testify of me, of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ left the throne of glory and was born in a stable in Bethlehem, lived a sinless life, died On the cross, a substitutionary death was buried, but then rose again, giving out a simple message. Whoever believes in me should not perish, but have everlasting life.
That's the wisdom of God. You don't get all of God's wisdom when you receive Jesus Christ, but all of God's wisdom is available to you when you do. And he sends us out on this quest to mine out the treasure. Let's stand together, please.